It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. This is a departure from the usual, and that we're going all basketball here on this Thursday edition of the podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means. Huge weekend for Ohio State basketball and what is turning into a huge season for the Buckeyes. We talked a lot of basketball. I think it was like two weeks ago today on the podcast. Steven and I kind of went in depth on where the Buckeyes were at that point of the season and kind of setting up what was a, a big kind of stretch drive for them potentially. And things have improved since then. I believe, we, were, Stephen, were we talking about that going into the Iowa game? I think it was going into that Thursday night game at Iowa a game they ended up winning 89-85, and that has sort of pushed them up in, into another level. Can you kind of just bring our listeners up to speed on where Ohio State stands right now? Yeah, so this team's won nine of its last ten games. Their only loss is they blew a lead to Purdue when they were up like 15 points at home, which is of the games that are on that nine-in-one stretch, you would not think that the loss to Purdue would be the one – that you'd be talking about as a loss, but they've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Iowa. They beat Iowa literally the night after we recorded that pod. Uh, they beat Indiana. They beat Maryland. Uh, this team is clicking in every way that you would want a team clicking heading into March here. And it seems sustainable, which I know we'll get into with some of these questions here, but they're not beating teams in a way where it's like, okay, they're going to cool down eventually. They're beating teams. Every single player on this team is playing to his strengths, whether it's Justin Orange shooting 48% from the three-point line or just Justice Suing kind of being a little bit of everything. He can give you – he can score for you. He can rebound at a high level. He can defend. He can play make for you. C.J. Walker being a leader but deciding to come off the bench so that Chris Holtman can keep that five-man starting unit together that was playing while C.J. Walker was out. Dwayne Washington Jr., he's – the one guy on the team who's maybe inefficient, but when he hit, hit shots for you, he hits some big ones for you, so you'll take it. Even Kyle Young hitting three-pointers on this team, which has become a constant. That was happening at the beginning of the season, too. That didn't, didn't start two weeks ago. And then EJ Liddell is starting to emerge as one of the better players in the Big Ten. And honestly, depending on some decisions, especially Ayu Desumu, EJ Liddell might be the favorite heading into next season to win Big Ten Player of the Year. So I want to get right to some of our reader questions. When I put a call out for rapid fire earlier this week and we got several basketball questions and we ended up 
holding those until today because we knew we were going to do this. And so I want to kind of go right to kind of what I think is the crux of the matter early on at this juncture of the season for Ohio State. There were two questions that are very similar from the 4-4-0. I went to college at OSU during the Solinger era. I sort of felt that OSU's days of being one of the elite teams and getting one seeds was behind us. Do you think this year will be a one-off or a sign that OSU is back as a national elite? And then kind of related to that from 614, are the Buckeyes really a number one seed? Are they good or is everyone else bad? Uh, I, I think the answer to that second question, the second part of the second question is definitely no, not everyone else is bad. And especially in the Big Ten, I think if you're asserting yourself this year in the Big Ten, it, it means something. But Stephen, over this uh, over the weekend, the NCAA uh, selection committee released its first kind of sneak peek at the where it where it would put the 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 bracket right now where it would put the top 16 seeds right now. And Ohio state was a one seed at that point. When we talked two weeks ago, you thought this team was, you know, you, you kind of raised your expectations to maybe this is kind of an elite eight level team. Have you kind of recalibrated your expectations at all? And do you think this is a team deserving of a one seed at this juncture of the season? And what do they have to do to keep it? It is. And the problem is they've got kind of, a 2019 football season into the season where how that football team had to play Penn state, Michigan, and then a big 10 championship game and then go play in the college football playoff. Ohio state's kind of got the same thing. Obviously they'll play Penn state's the in Michigan state are the two road games that are, those, those are gimmies at this point, but you've got Michigan on the next Sunday. And then you've got the following Sunday, you've got Iowa and then you close out with Illinois. And so, from an a bit from a talent standpoint and the way they've been playing, yes, they deserve a number one seed. I think it's it's difficult just because of how they close out their schedule for them to maybe lock it in, maybe the way that some of these other teams can. Doug, we had another question that was along the lines of, "Do you think Chris Holtman had to have this kind of a season to save his job or something like that?" I thought that was maybe a little bit extreme, but I do think that they probably needed a season like this regardless of how it ends up, they needed a season to kind of really push things up a level. And you had a, a great text the other day, kind of comparing right after that Indiana game, Ohio state blows out Indiana here in Columbus by 20 points and sort of showing the separation between where this team is right now with Chris Holtman and where it might be had it hired Archie Miller as people had made that comparison because they were kind of coming into those programs roughly around the same time. When you look back on that, how significant of a how critical of a decision does that seem in retrospect? All right. So I'm on the podcast, by the way, that was the longest I've ever gone without speaking a word. We're like 11 minutes in. I haven't said something yet. I was almost just going to interject and start talking about one direction again. I, I left you a pause after the first question. It looked like you were, you were kind of doing that thing where like you, you kind of got up right. towards the mic, like maybe he's going to say something and then you didn't. Ugh. So then I went on to the next question. But all here right, you go. So it's all you. So here's the thing. So I got, there's like 50 things here. The, the, the very first question you asked, Nathan, those two things in combo are very important and very different because one's a program question, one's a team question. The second one of those is like, are they really a one seed this year? Are they really good this year? Does everybody else stink? That's a team question. That's now. The other one about, I never thought they'd get back to this level after this. That's a program question. Yep. That's always two different things. And I think practically... That's like almost maybe this whole podcast to me is like, what's okay. The team right now is one thing. The program overall is another thing. The Archie Miller comparison is a good one. I don't know anything. I'm only, I only have questions about this basketball team. When I was the only, when I was covering Ohio state by myself, I loved Ohio state basketball after a long football season where every game is either boring or life and death. It's either like against Rutgers 
or Bowling Green, or it's like, well, if they lose this one game to a good team, their national title, you know, basketball is fun because you can lose and it's not over. You can have a good win. It doesn't mean you're like basketball is really fun. I'm completely disconnected from basketball right now, but I'm constantly wondering about this team. And I wonder about it in the way that that first texter wondered about it, like in comparison to some teams of the recent past to sort of the best of the Thad Mata era. So the bottom line, I'll start, I'll throw this out. And then I, but I do think, I think we want to have a team discussion and a program discussion. When they hired Chris Holtman, I talked to Gene Smith that day for a long time. I wrote a big thing about it. Gene said, we should win national titles in basketball. And I was sort of like, that's really where you are? That like, that's the right way to look at this program? That it's not national title or bust. And you can't pretend it's the same at football. But that truly is what they're thinking, right? That that's it for real? That seemed high to me. That seemed maybe unrealistic or maybe unfair. Like, really? Like, okay, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, we get, all right, they think that. Michigan State, Ohio State really thinks that? This is the kind of season, and it's hard. I, I do think it's different in basketball. I think winning in basketball is not actually it because there's too much randomness to the tournament. I think football gives you a truer sense of who the best team was. I think often the best team does not win, or at least a decent amount of the time, the best team does not win the NCAA basketball championship. So you've got to assess. So conference titles mean more right? Like top 10 finishes mean more elite eights mean more final fours mean more because sometimes you get to the sweet 16 and William Buford goes three for 16 against Kentucky and you lose, but you probably were the best team in the country that year. You were one seed. You were dominant. You didn't win the national title. You had a bad day at the wrong time. So like, did Holtman need this? I think need is too strong. I was critical of his recruiting and his roster management in the off season when DJ Carton left and some other guys left. I think need is too strong, but I do think this is reaffirming when you look at what Archie Miller is doing in year four at Indiana, which is nothing, which is bubble, which is like, ah, probably make it as like a 10 seed, probably make it versus Chris Holtman has this team as a one seed competing at the top of the best conference in the country. It's not like he was going to get fired. I mean, he was, he was doing a lot of good things, but after DJ Carton left and after the off season, if Ohio state was having an Indiana season right now, like another, bu- like a bubble season. I don't think he would, he wouldn't be on the hot seat, but I think he would be a bad season away from the hot seat. Right. That like, and now it's like, Oh, they lost DJ Carton. Who's playing at Marquette. Playing pretty well too. Who's like a big time recruit, yeah. but like they're okay. And they're better than okay. And he's going to be in a very, he's in an interesting spot now where at the very least, Steven, I think there maybe you can ask yourself what is the ceiling of this team in terms of like individual talent on the team. And there's a specific question I want to ask about that, but it feels like he is maximizing that they are maximizing the talent they have. And that's always a good thing for a coach. Then you can say, well, should they get, should they recruit a little step beyond or what's the strategy, whatever, but right. I mean, how could they be playing better than they are? Steven, how could they, Nathan, how could they be playing better than they are? They are playing as good as this group of players can play. And it hasn't been a spot for a one seed. And that is, if you had any questions about Chris Holtman, nobody listening to this podcast has a question about Chris Holtman. What would your Chris Holtman question be? 
So yes, that is big for him. I, I think, and to the point of maximizing the roster, I think he's always done that. I just think this is the first roster where if you maximize it, it could potentially do this. The, in t- my first year covering to be 2018, 2019, that was just, a, that was not a good basketball team. And so the fact that they were even in the NCAA tournament was a miracle. It's, it's also why you maybe applauded a little bit that they got to the, not only did they get to the NCAA tournament, but they won a game. And even, you know, and then last year, that was it, 20, the first year, his first year here, that 2017, 2018 season, he took over. That team had some veterans on it that allowed and the best player in the Big Ten that allowed it to do that. And they probably underachieved a little bit. And then last year was kind of a flawed team, too, but you still maybe expected a little bit more. And from I wasn't on that call, obviously, because I had you know, some personal stuff going on. But from the way he talked to you guys when you guys were on that Zoom call back in the spring, he, he made it seem like he felt like they had a higher ceiling than just the second round. I think he said sweet 16 last year. And so, but this is the first roster where when you look at it, you go at worst, this is a sweet 16 team. And maybe at best it's an elite. They win a game and they get, not only do they get to the second weekend, but they make it to Sunday. But even or if things start clicking and they get hot at the right time to your point of the best team doesn't win the hottest team wins, maybe they even get to a final four. They just so happen to be the best possible version of what this roster could be. Doug, I want to touch on something you brought up, and this is one of those questions that if we're not careful, it's going to be a whole 90-minute podcast on its own, possibly. Um, it certainly would be if we were trying to do the same thing for football. But in comparison to football, when, when you talk about how it felt like unrealistic to think of Ohio State basketball in that kind of national championship um, assumption, you know, you compare it to football where, you know, obviously Ohio State could compete for national championships in football. And how many other Big Ten programs realistically can compete for a national championship right now in football? Whereas in basketball, I think, I don't know, there's probably like eight programs who realistically could win a national championship. Well, I mean, they also, haven't, they also haven't won a national championship for like 15 they haven't. years. Yeah. And they haven't. And they haven't. But, but neither has anybody in the Big Ten except for Ohio State in football. So, but I guess what I'm saying is it kind of says something that not that long ago, you almost thought of Ohio State being on kind of the outside, even of that bubble, or you or you were just saying that it was more that nobody in the Big Ten is winning national championships, so that that affected how you looked at that. So I think it's possible that college basketball has completely changed, like in the last two years, and I am behind yeah. on it, and I think that is possible. My view of it always was: listen, football, Ohio State's at the top. Like if we talk about again. Ohio State, it's Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Ohio State is not that in basketball. In basketball, at least like in the recent past, that's Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, or whatever, right? I mean, that's who that – they're not that. And then Michigan State with Izzo at their peak, they were – I think they had ascended to that, truly. I mean, I do – I mean, Michigan State, I mean, they were sure. in the Final Four all the time. I think Michigan State had ascended to that. I think Ohio State was like right there, but I think Ohio State is in the tier below that. Now, the question is, is that the tier anymore? And I, maybe it's not because none of those teams are any good right now. So I do think, again, there's a program discussion and a team discussion. There's an overall and there's a this year. But I, Ohio State, absolutely top tier in football. Just also absolutely, in my mind, not top tier in basketball as a program because top tier is Duke. Like a, that's not what that's Ohio State basketball is. But I think they're next, I guess. They're in the – if the, the Penn State tier of where they are in football, that's where Ohio State is in basketball. Yes, I agree. I think that, that to me, is where they are. Yes. yes. And it's the, a bigger tier in basketball than it is in football. It is. And also, uh, 
right now that's what it is. We might have to readjust this discuss as a country, not just Buckeye talk, might have to readjust this discussion. And the problem is we don't know if we have to do it yet because we don't know what the NBA is going to do about the one year rule because that changes some things on who might be. Maybe it won't be Duke anymore if they're not a, or Kentucky if they're not able to take advantage of getting the Zion Williamsons and the Jalen Johnsons who just opted out of the rest of his freshman season because he's going to go prepare for the NBA draft or the Brandon Ingrams because those guys are just going to go to the NBA. So, so this, maybe we do readjust then, but for now, so, that's what it is. So to follow up on the question that the, the texter asked, and I think this does kind of help us frame the question, because the thing that I did leave out of that was the, the context I left out of that was right now, as Doug just alluded to, all of those blue bloods stink. Like, this is like the first year in generations where you've had multiple or all of those teams that you automatically think of as being the best teams in college basketball, best programs in college basketball are either out of the top 25 or floundering. Like they're just not having the seasons they usually do. I don't, to me, the way I look at that though, is not that like, well, if Ohio state ends up having a great season um, that it's almost like a fluke. I think there's other teams out there that are maybe the unconventional powers or that second tier down that are just stepping up. But it, it seems to me like an opportunity, right? Like you don't get that many years where maybe all of those teams that we think of as like you can put any two of them down in the final four and your chances are pretty good. All those teams are going to be out of the picture in March. This might this might be a, a, a kind of narrow window that Ohio State could potentially take advantage of here. I, I don't think it has to take away from Ohio State, and that is not the intention right. here. Right. You've got to take advantage. You've got to do what you do, take advantage of opportunity and – Listen, man, they've won one title in basketball. A title's a title. But I don't think you can look at this season without acknowledging that. So, like, whatever the however that question was phrased, or is it that everybody stinks? At least part of it is that everybody stinks. Because, yeah. listen, man, I mean, if the, if the Blue Bloods were putting four first-rounders out on the court right now every night, and they were all, you know, going to finish 29-2, and two, well, Ohio State still might be Ohio State, but they wouldn't be a one seed. So, I just, you have to acknowledge that. But all credit to Ohio State for what that team is doing. I agree. Just, just so people know, Ohio State is fourth in the last AP poll. Gonzaga one, Baylor two, Michigan three, Illinois five, Houston six, Virginia seven. So there's a mix in there of, of teams that have been in Alabama eight. So it really is. I think it's a fascinating year in college basketball. What would it be like in football if you just wiped off, and you'd have to wipe off Ohio State in this case, but like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State all have like four losses by the time you get to December and you get to just have this like groundswell of the next tier coming up. I don't know. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I don't, I think it would be weird if it was year after year. I think it'd be fun. Let's check the ratings. But for the end <laughs> I'm of the just saying what would be fun to me. Every, I'm not saying what would be fun to the nation. Everybody wants underdogs until it's until only until you get a bunch of underdogs and everybody's because like, Oh, did Duke not play this year? It's like, no, they played. They just stink. It's like, Oh, isn't Kentucky – so it's like, oh, what happened? What would happen if Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State and Oklahoma, like all no, none of them made the playoff? And it's like, you mean if the playoff was Arizona State, Texas A&M, Penn State, and North Carolina, what would happen? I don't know. TV ratings would be cut in half. I know that. And, like, I, I mean – now, the difference is, are, do they have great players? It's like, all right, well, Sam Howells is going to be the number one pick in the draft. Okay, well, then North Carolina is interesting. If it's a bunch of underdog dudes and, like, a bunch of scrappy teams who play well together with no pros, and they're not traditional powers and they don't have pros, I don't know, man. Like, it's great in theory. I'm not sure it's great in execution 
for a non-diehard college basketball fan to watch. Gonzaga and Baylor are 37-0 and combined. If that's the national championship game, I don't know if that's going to be highly watched. Because, I mean, Gonzaga's dominant with uh, – has been with – they're the Clemson of college basketball, basically, because their conference stinks, and every year they're good. But they're not – I don't. they don't have a bunch of, you know, household names on their team. And then Baylor, I mean, that's been – Kansas's conference for the last basically my entire life literally and I'm 26 years old so I don't know if that's going to be highly watched so yeah everybody likes underdogs until they're no longer underdogs because the people they're supposed to be underdogs for are not good anymore so and I don't know the answer to this question I, I really am I'm coming in cold I just like to talk do Gonzaga and Baylor have a bunch of pros I honestly don't know I have zero idea and I didn't look it up do they have guys who are going to be drafted in the first round they have I don't think Baylor does know. And Gonzaga's got Jalen Suggs, who was a five-star kid in basketball and football as a quarterback. So he's an NBA player probably. But other than that, there's no, no. It's a typical college basketball team where they're, they've got veterans and they've got maybe some talented young guys. But for the most part, it's just three and four, two and three-year guys who have been in the program for a while, which is pretty standard for both of those programs. So then let me, so the, the question that I just want to make sure that we cover at some point, and, and Nathan, I'll be curious because you covered college basketball for a long time. I covered it for a long time. We covered it in a similar era. I think people just said it. I don't know. Maybe Thad said it or people said it. I always thought really, if you really want to be like a final four team and win a national title, you probably need two pros. And if you really want to get over the top, you might need three. So my first question is, and this is a Steven question, is are the, who are the pros on this Ohio State team? And the second question is, Nathan, like, do you believe, is that still true? Because, like, maybe it's not true anymore, but I also at some point want to get to a little bit of a more direct comparison to the Jared Sullinger, David Lighty, William Buford, Aaron Kraft, John Diebler team, which had one pro. It had Jared, who was a first-round pick, and then everybody, nobody else who ever played the NBA sort of orbited around him in a very specific way. But at least they had, they had one pro. And they were the best team in the country. They were. They were the best team in the country. They should have won that national title, and they didn't. So they that broke the mold. I'm curious how much this team is like that team. But, Nathan, first of all, two pros, is that still the rule? I, I, there's going to be exceptions to that rule, but I think it is kind of the rule. And I think I saw it play out. Again, trigger warning. I think I saw that play out a little bit in my time covering Purdue, where you had a team that was consistently one of the best in the Big Ten, a team that could win a Big Ten championship, when you're talking about who could be really strong over the course of a season with team principles, and and they, they were mixing in really good players, player of the year, and, and Caleb Swanigan, and a, a All-American level player in, in uh, uh, Carson Edwards, so they were mixing in like really strong players in that period too, but I always thought that once you got to the big, once you got to the eight, to the NCAA tournament and you got deeper in the NCAA tournament they often would run into teams that when you when you run into a team that has multiple pros you can't win with that other stuff so they would run into Kansas they would run into the Virginia team that won the national championship and they you couldn't just get all the all the like grittiness and all those things that you really admire about a team and I'm not just talking about Purdue but there's a lot of other teams out there that, that fall into that and you could say the same thing maybe even about Virginia in the years leading up to when they finally won the national championship. I think you you have to, at some point, you get deep in that tournament, you do have to have multiple guys. So I, I agree. I, and I think it's it, – I'm interested to whether Steven feels like this Ohio State team might have that kind of combination. 
So before I answer that, I, I think that rule is going to start fleeting a little bit because of when you're describing a pro, who that pro is. That pro at this point is usually a five-star freshman who's literally only in college basketball because he has to be. And right now, those I just think of that Kentucky team with Anthony Davis and how they had they had the top two picks in an NBA draft that year, Michael K. Gilchrist and Anthony Davis. Uh, you saw it with the 2015 Duke team. They had Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor and uh, a couple other guys who ended up being pro. Grayson Allen was a pro on that team. There was somebody else who I think was the 10th pick in that 2015 NBA draft. I think that's changed because a lot of those types of players that usually are the, the nut graph for your team are kind of scattered. Cade Cunningham's at Oklahoma State. They're not competing for a national championship. Evan Mobley's at USC. They're not competing for a national championship. And then you've got two of the other top five players in the country who went and played for the G League team right now. So they're not even playing college basketball. And then Brandon Boston, we know what's going on with Kentucky. They're not very good right now. So I think that rule is going to shift a little bit because there's not going to be a lot of star pros who are playing college basketball because they're going to do, do something else. But I think from Ohio State's perspective – there's at least one, and it's because of the way the game has changed that I could say this. I think EJ Liddell might be an NBA player um, because he knows how to model who to model his game after for a guy who's 6'6", 6'7", 220, 230 pounds, and that's Paul Millsap, or maybe even a Draymond Green. Who, both of those guys, undersized players, but Paul Millsap can do a, enough on the floor as an offensive player. He can still get a shot off and score, and EJ Liddell can score a little bit. If he improves as a passer, he can maybe model himself out to Draymond Green, who is legitimately 6'5", 6'6", playing power forward and can guard everybody and is also a, a – he's Golden, State, Golden State's best playmaker. So it starts there. I think he's a pro player. And then maybe Justin Ahrens makes a roster as a shooter because, I mean, 48% is 48%. That's a ridiculous clip. But other than that, that, and that's even a stretch because everybody can shoot in the NBA. But the only one for sure I'll say as a pro right now is EJ Liddell on this roster. That Gonzaga guy you mentioned is projected as the first pick in a mock draft I just looked at. So Gonzaga has. I said, that guy. Yeah, I said yeah, Jalen Suggs. That's the, that's it. I didn't realize it was number one though. But they had they had, and they have another guy who's projected late in the first round. Mm. Baylor had like one guy late in the first round. Ohio State no guys in the top in the two rounds of the mock draft I looked at. So, yeah, I mean maybe it is maybe it is changing. I mean it's hard to and I and I, I did this all the time in my Ohio State career. There were a lot of guys that came through Ohio State that I thought could be bench guys in the NBA that never were. You know, John Diebler got drafted. John Diebler got drafted because John Diebler couldn't just shoot. John Diebler was big. John Diebler was like six seven. You know, John Diebler, I thought a little bit something too, and never did anything. David Letty, I thought was like a kind of a, like a Bruce Bowen type. You know, it's like guard, rebound, guard multiple positions. Never. He's like a really good European player. No NBA. I like Aaron Kraft could maybe be like a third point guard. Like last guy on the bench. Never was in the G League. Never. You know. Like, I just, I'll, I'll be curious to see how these guys work out. Like, did you think, do you think, did you think Caleb Wesson was an NBA player or pretty, you thought not? I thought he's like their Mike Weber, where it's like he, you, the, his stock was going to be as high as that was. And that's undrafted. And maybe he's on a G League team. Can't so, I mean, Ohio, Ohio State's won a lot of games in the, re, in the last 10 years without NBA guys. You know, I mean, like Odin and Conley were rare. Right. And then Evan Turner was the player of the year and was the number two pick in the draft. But they won a lot of games without having guys like that. Um, and obviously, D'Angelo Russell. So I'm not saying that they can't. I'm not saying they can't win a national title because then maybe they don't have an Evan Turner. Maybe they don't have a top. They don't have a top 10 pick. I think they can win a national title. I don't know. 
I think it's more of a program question. I think as a one-year team thing, it's like, can they win a national title like this? I, I think it appears yes. In this mm-hmm. year, because some other teams are down, because college basketball is changing, as you said, the fact a bunch of good guys are in the G League, that matters. They're more scattered. Yes. I don't know what their program is long-term. A, will they add a few more NBA guys in their recruiting? Or B, will their teams look more like this? And then the question is, is this sustainable? Can you be in the top tier if your team is like this every year? And I don't know what the answer to that question is in college basketball now. I, to, to, to compare it to that, I think what Dad did when he had Greg Oden and Michael Conley um, was – could be viewed as maybe a one-off at the time that it actually happened because he hadn't done that before, but those relationships that he built because he was playing, he was coaching at a school in Indiana. Yeah, we know it. Be, we got yeah, it. Okay. So you let's not get the okay. background. People cool. listen to know the deal. So maybe that's a one-off, but then all of a sudden you go get a bunch of Ohio guys. One of which is one of the best players in the country. And actually, no, he is the best player in the country. And that's Jared Selinger. And you lock him in early. And then you, fill that in with a lot of other Ohio guys who are also pretty good too. I mean, Aaron Kraft, uh, Deshaun Thomas is from Indiana, but that Midwest guy. And I think that's how Chris Holtman needed to reset his recruiting and look at it that way. And it's, he's almost going to be in a position to do the exact same thing here in 2021. He got Michi Johnson who has now early enrolled and is now playing. And he's been pretty quality in this role that he's supposed to be in this year. But then you've got Malachi Abraham out of, Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's, who's the number 29 player in the country, and I think he's going to come in here and be able to score 15 points a game from the moment he steps on campus. Kalen Edsler, who might not play as a true freshman, but he's got some upside. It might go from a guy who doesn't have a role as a true freshman to being one of the impact role players as a sophomore. But then in 2022, you already got Bowen Hardman committed, who's your first commit, and then you went and got two national guys. That's fine. But the big fish, your Jared Selinger of this era, is Chris Livingston, who's also from Akron. He goes to Bookdale. He's the number four player in the country and the number two small forward in the 2022 recruiting class. That's Chris Holtman's Jared Selinger. You get that, and then I think you get the ball rolling, and you see maybe some history repeat itself, and you see what that model was able to do with that 2010 class happen again for Chris Holtman. We're going to talk about some more big-picture program perspective later in this podcast. When we come back from break, I want to talk about what's immediately ahead of Ohio State Um, especially a big rivalry game coming up on the weekend. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. So as we talk, Ohio State, again, ascending into the top four, ascending into being one of the top four seeds in the NCAA tournament. Uh, The game's immediately ahead of them um, against Penn State on Thursday and then against Michigan. Is it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. right? Sunday at Against Michigan on Sunday. So that's a huge game. That's two teams in the top four. Michigan is number three. They have not been playing much recently because of uh, their COVID situation in that state and some decisions that were made. And so they've. It, it's been a fascinating season in the Big Ten to me, in part because of that. I don't want to completely jump past Penn State, but we might as well. I don't think people care that much about that game. Ohio State has to win that game to make the Michigan game mean even more so there, there's another little football connection for you that seems to happen um as you're just saying in 2019 and it was scheduled to happen that way in 2021 so you get past Penn State um and then the Michigan game means a little bit more and um Michigan came out of the box really strong came out of the gates really strong to start the year like this year where the Big Ten I feel like has stepped up and really asserted itself as the best conference in the country partially again because all those ACC powers have, have fallen off a little bit um 
Michigan was the one that was out front kind of leading that charge in some ways. Kind of give people an idea just quickly, like what, what's Michigan about this year and um, what challenges will they present Ohio State this weekend? One of the challenges from a coaching standpoint is you don't necessarily have a lot of film on this team recently because, as you just said, they were off for basically two and a half weeks, but then they came back against against a Winter Wisconsin team and had a 14-point comeback to win that game. They're pretty balanced, and that's where it starts. I think these teams are similar. Both of these teams have an inside presence as a score, and then a guy on the perimeter who can also get you 15-plus points a game. And so it's going to be, I think, an up and – we might see a similar – Outcome as the Iowa Ohio State game where it's high scoring and it's going to come down to shot making at the end of the day. But I think this game is I mean, this is what the Ohio State football Michigan game should be be about. It's at the end of the season. Both of these teams are top top 10 teams in the country, top five in this in this instance. And the winner of this game is probably going to win the Big Ten. Because if Ohio State wins this game and then they end up with maybe the same record as some of the other teams in the Big Ten, they're going to win the Big Ten because they beat everybody else already. They, 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 right now, they would already have a win over everybody else in the conference while Illinois and Iowa are still looking for their win over Ohio State. Michigan and Ohio State only play each other once this year, so th- that would already be decided. So this is, pretty, this is a, a Big Ten championship game in basketball, which you really don't get that often. And this is the only time these teams meet. They're, they're yeah. you know, in the Big Ten. Sometimes you play twice, and sometimes you don't play once. This is the only time these teams play. Doug, what is your historical perspective on how much this rivalry means? I'm not going to compare it to football. It's not football, but when these teams are both going well, what does this rivalry mean? I don't want to speak on behalf of fans, and I've written a lot about this over the years and talked about it a lot over the years. It always feels a little forced to me. That, that when John Beeline was really had it rolling there at Michigan for a while, he would get, at, at, I think at the time when like Brady Hoke was calling Ohio State, Ohio, and then John Beeline was the basketball coach, John Beeline would like try to call Ohio State, Ohio, but like would accidentally call them Ohio State sometimes. And it was like, <laughs> you're trying, you know, and then guys like me, especially, I love combining everything and sort of tying things together. I think it drives basketball people nuts sometimes, but it's like all the basketball coaches at Ohio State eventually get some football questions and it's just not the same. Now there is some, but you know, frankly, you know, I mean, you know, what Bob Knight did at Indiana as a former Ohio state player, as an Ohio state grad, and then go to Indiana, there was like a rivalry there for a while, but it is also weird to me. I'm still caught up in a lot of the old time ways. I mean, Indiana hasn't been relevant in basketball, like 15 years. I keep waiting. It's like, Oh, remember when Indiana It's like, they, they're, they're mediocre for a decade. Yeah. Like, I don't know why, what am I? What, so I don't, I don't know that Ohio state has a rival like that, but I think, there's enough disdain in general for Michigan among the fan bases that when they're both good, you can stoke it up a little bit. And one of the things that, that there are moments and the thing there are basket, there are football moments that have happened in basketball. Like the fact that Jim Tressel's introductory speech in whatever, how many days were on the at mission that was at a basketball game. Like that means something right. That, and, and, Rich Rodriguez, when he was hired at Michigan and Brady, he was hired at Michigan the day Ohio State was playing at Michigan in a basketball game because I was at, no, 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 not when Rich Rodriguez was hired, when Brady Hoke was hired, I think. I was at the Brady Hoke like news conference for football because I was there covering the basketball game. And then like there was a whole, you know what? There was a Rich Rodriguez thing. There were definitely Ohio State fans at a Michigan basketball game making fun of Rich Rodriguez while Rich Rodriguez was there one time, right? That 
there is a carryover. But I also think we can go as the media, we can push it too far sometimes past the, the natural point of it. But there's two things I want to say to, before let you guys can talk again. One is there was no football game this year, so this is what you got. So I think I don't know what that does. This is the best you get. This is the biggest Ohio State Michigan meeting in sports of this school year. So that's different. And the other is both their programs are led by alums who were very successful players at very successful times for the basketball and football programs who both have the initial JH. And can you imagine if Jim Harbaugh was as good at his job as Juwan Howard is? And, and Ryan Day and Chris Holtman had nothing to do with Ohio State before they got here, and they both played the most important position in the sport, and that's point guard and quarter. <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's a lot there with that, but, like, as much as Ohio State fans, I think, did thought, like, Rich Rodriguez was a knucklehead, thought Brady Hoke was overmatched, and think that Jim Harbaugh is weird, right? That's what Ohio State football fans think of Michigan. I think absolutely Ohio State fans, I think, respected John Beeline for what he did there and the kind of coach he was and respect Juwan Howard for what he's doing there and for the kind of coach he is. And Juwan Howard, like if you're an Ohio State basketball fan, I think Juwan Howard is a problem. Mm -hmm. Like Juwan Howard is going to beat you in recruiting and then he's going to beat you on the floor. And that guy I don't think is going anywhere. So, like, it's, it's interesting to think about if the football coach was as competent as the basketball coach because Chris Holtman's got it going on right now, but so does Juwan Howard, which is why this game on Sunday is going to be awesome. And I, I think we might see more games like this in the future because I don't think either of them are going anywhere. Michigan has the number one recruiting class in the country with six commits. Two of them are top 20 players in the country. What if that was Michigan football recruiting? Which is what we thought it was going to be. Like, Juwan Howard is Jim Harbaugh without the weirdness. Now, but, but they both, I mean, they, they both played at the highest level. They both succeeded at the highest level in college. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. The initials thing is just like a thing that a writer likes. And their, their initials are the same. I'm going to write makes about for a that. Good, yeah, it makes for a good lead in the story. But, but it's like Juwan Howard thing. has ever worn a pair of khakis. No. I mean, I would ask that on a Zoom. I don't no. know. I mean, it's like. Uh, you know, Juwan, I know this is a cool. big game against Ohio. Can I ask, have you ever worn khakis? I mean, that guy is good. That guy is good at what he khakis. does. No, has, has, wear, Jim, has Jim Harbaugh wear... ever worn shorts below his knee? Yeah, that's the other thing. Okay, that's I, was the saying, no, I think we should, we should, someone should make for Juwan Howard a pair of khaki shorts that just come down right to the knee, and he could wear those. Yeah. With black socks. But that they both have, they both have leg wear that they're famous for i mean they're like the same they're the same except one is better at his job <laughs> but steven are you feeling like some extra juice for this game this year and I, I i think it's interesting that we can make some parallels here you know how how much this game means the winner maybe wins the big 10 championship the winner um puts himself in a better position for the ncaa tournament because as we've all seen the big 10 tournament is a often very secondary to any kind of seeding that ends up happening, but it's not win or go home. 
Like no matter what happens in this game, it might mean that the winner's a one seed and the loser's a two seed, and it doesn't really affect their chances of ultimately winning a national championship or getting to a final four that much. I, that to me is is part of the impact here. But there are other rivalries that are intense, even when both teams stink, and that also doesn't apply to this. Yeah, I mean, even if one lo- even whoever loses might still end up as a one seed because the NCAA had both of them at that at that spot. It's just one might be the right. higher of the two the two one seeds. I think. It- <laughs> nothing is going to replace the Ohio state Michigan football game ever. And I'm not going to sit here and try to sell anybody on that idea that, Oh, this is a, but I think if you were going to have a consolation prize for not having that game, this is the best possible consolation prize you could have. The fact that both of these teams are top five teams in the country. And it's the second most important sport at both of these um, schools it's, it's basketball and it's it's got some national title implications it's got some big 10 championship implications because it means it has the same meanings it doesn't feel the same obviously but a lot of those same what this game would mean for the rest of the season is kind of similar i think it's the perfect consolation prize for a, a group of a fan base who didn't get the best rivalry in sports this year so well, that, like- that's what makes it interesting and I like the fact that this might be a time of year where because they're only playing once, because there was no football game, people might be, by people I mean media dunderheads like us, would be trying to make that, draw that parallel about, oh, well, this is the time. they. But at least there are, I mean, at least they're both great. At least yeah. they're both among the best teams in the country. At least there are some stakes to this game. I think that does make it a more fun game. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it on Sunday. I want to get to another question, though. Speaking of consolation prizes, I hadn't really considered this, and I thought it was a fun question from the 937. I've been kind of thinking about this for a while now. What kind of story would it be if by some alternate universe, Alabama beats OSU in the national championship game in basketball? I mentioned before, Alabama is number eight. So they're going to be, if things continue on this path, um, one of the top seeds in the NCAA tournament too. This is me talking, not the question. Back to the question. I still haven't recovered from Florida beating us in football and basketball in the same calendar year for two separate national championships, three months apart in 2007. How crazy would it be to have that potentially happen to OSU twice though steven i you did the alabama clemson watch for us during football season i don't know how much Sorry, you have, up. <laughs> i don't know how much you have watched alabama in the during this basketball season uh, hopefully not a whole lot but um that is interesting to have that kind of looming out there to me and i think it would be fascinating if not only do we like get a little taste of of the the football rivalry spilling over into basketball in the big 10 but then you get those fan bases uh, all those people who root 365 days a year for football and only pretend to care about basketball for both of those fan bases, they all come out of the woodwork and show up in March. Not crazy. And I told my boss when I talked on Monday, I might be writing that when we get closer to tournament time. I think the more interesting question here is, Hey, Doug, you covered both of those events in the hmm. four month radius. Talk about it. So the thing that I think is different from back then is that like urban Meyer and Billy Donovan were like friends back then right when they were coaching those two Florida teams and like this Alabama basketball team, Nate Oates, the former Buffalo coach. I mean, they're, they're coming a little bit out of nowhere here. Like both those Florida, Florida was like a power in both of those. And like, we all wrote a bunch of stories about like, Hey, there are programs that are good in basketball and good at football. And it was those two teams, those two schools, Florida and Ohio state. And they met both times, but like, I don't know. That was really heightened because like you could find like some of the villains, Right. With those Florida guys, they were much more national. It's like, you know, if you were sick of Tim Tebow or if you were sick of Joe Kim Noah. Right. I mean, like some of these guys, like it could drive you nuts a little bit, but it was also nuts. And 
I think it's a tribute, like it was a tribute to Ohio State and Florida back then. It contributes to be a, uh, continues to be a tribute to Ohio State, and it's a tribute to Alabama now. It's not easy. It is not easy to be good at both. There are some resources that go into it, but everybody picks one, right? No matter, it mostly is based on what area of the country you're in, what state you're from, and it is funny, Ohio and Indiana are right next to each other, but of course, Indiana's basketball and Ohio's football, everybody knows it. But, you know, Alabama's football, it's not easy to go be a top 10 team in basketball at Alabama. So, like, credit to Nate Oates for doing that, but it's also a credit to Chris Holtman. There are some things you can hide a little bit. The pressure isn't as great, but also it's sort of hard to break through sometimes. So, um, it would not be like what it was back there. That was bonkers with Ohio State and Florida in that 2006-2007 school year. So, this would not match that. But it would match it, I think, to the credit to both schools if you could somehow pull that off because it's just not easy to do. There's too many programs where, like, Kansas is great at basketball and they suck at football all the time. Kentucky and Duke are great at basketball. They've never been relevant in football at any kind of top level. So if you can do both, it's rare. But isn't isn't the opposite easier of the two? Because you mentioned the resources before, and it's not like – I remember when Chris Holtman was going to Ohio State and you're leaving a place at Butler. It's obviously a much smaller school, but basketball is what Butler is. That is what they have. That is what they are other than like a pretty good like pharmacy school and stuff. Uh, my wife's a, a Butler grad, not a pharmacist, journalist, but they, they're a good school. But like I would think all those schools you're talking about that are like basketball first, it's harder for I think that to maybe – help pull football up to the next level than it is the other way around where you're talking about with Ohio state with Florida, I would argue this was true. You could probably even argue, you can certainly argue this maybe even about Alabama that if football leads, I think those resources can maybe help pull basketball along a little bit. I would think the basketball can benefit from those football resources in a way that the opposite doesn't necessarily work. True. But I still think years it's still harder. I mean, I guess what are the, examples right so we're talking about florida ohio state you know oklahoma right i mean like the blake griffin run like they were good at basketball for a while while oklahoma's kind of like a football school i don't think clemson's good at basketball are they i mean alabama traditionally has not Nothing been special. good they, they were good last year but not this year so i mean i know what you're saying but i still don't think i think it's easier to be good in basketball at a basketball first power than it is to be good at basketball at a football first power right so who has a better chance to be good at basketball, Kentucky or Ohio State? Kentucky does. But who has the better chance to have both teams be good? Ohio State does, which right. I think goes to your point. Yes, right. I would rather have football pulling up basketball than trying to have basketball pull up football. But when you're just talking about basketball, the college where basketball is king still has, I think, a substantial edge. I think the Big Ten maybe just has the best formula for how it's going to go, where you can have a – Really, one of the one of the programs is a national contender, while the other one's a tier two program, and I th- or maybe even tier three program. And if everything is clicking the right way, it should be for Michigan. I think that's the best school for this all to happen at because Jawan Howard's already doing what he's doing with the basketball program, and if Jim Harbaugh was doing what he was supposed to do with the football program, they probably if we went if we wanted to rank schools who had the best 
com- combination of a football and basketball program, Michigan is probably number one on that list. Michigan State, you can throw up there because of what Tom Izzo has been able to do. And Michigan State could be uh, is a decent football program. They're not great, but they're not bad, a terrible program the way maybe what you would have at a Duke or a North Carolina situation. Uh, Indiana, decent basketball program, decent football program but I think- stop stop no they're not indiana blows at basketball and was good at football this year for the first time in 30 I'm saying- years and good ish yeah that's fair okay yeah that was the stretch one so that's fair i'll stop at michigan state michigan and also ohio state in there as well where they could have a tier two basketball program and a tier one football program let me throw in the the, the wisconsin era of uh mm. bow and brett was lovely I, I milked the Wisconsin era of Bo and Brett for all it was worth. Oh, it was wonderful. So it is. I mean, it is. It is possible. And again, people do those kind of rankings all the time. Maybe we should do them, you know. But again, there's a, there's one of the discussions is like who's having the best combined seasons right now versus who are the best combined programs. And it is. Yeah. I mean, it is a different thing. We're going to come back and continue the football basketball synergy discussion when we come back from this break on Buckeye Talk. All right, wrapping up the pod today, there were two questions here that both got to the same question. I want to, Doug's perspective on this, I think will be especially interesting, but also Steven's perspective on where we are going forward, I think will be interesting. So from the 614, when was the last time OSU was this good at football and basketball? What's the future outlook for both programs right now? And from the 440, do Chris Holtman slash Ryan Day have the chance to become the greatest football slash basketball coach duo in Ohio State's history? And so, I, again, I'm, I'm the one who's the most recent to this and the most distant from Ohio State basketball at some point. But I, the, the, the era that jumps to my mind immediately is the one that is the most recent. You had a decade that started in 2005 and went through the 2014-15 basketball season. In that stretch, Ohio State basketball went basically averaged 28-8 and eight every year. Uh, three Elite Eights, two Final Fours, and a National Championship game appearance. And in that same stretch, Ohio State football won 10 or more games every year except the weird 2011 blip and won a National Championship and lost a National Championship game. That, I don't, Doug, you would have a better historical perspective going back decades, but that is about as good as it synced up, right? Tell and me. In the 60s, 60s what, again, also pretty strong. What was the range you gave again there? That was the 0506 through 2014-15 basketball. So that takes you through what you losing the the national championship game yeah. and winning the national championship game in football. Yeah. I mean, like I this is not to take a you know short memory on this that you just had it. Yeah, literally. That we just talked about how high state played for the national championship in the same year in both sports. And then the next year they won the, they went to the national championship game in football again. So again, I talk about this all the time. I started covering Ohio State in 2005 with the 2005 Ohio State football season. So like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think those six years covering football, men's basketball, women's basketball, like out of 18 titles, Ohio State won like 14 of the 18 titles. Like just recently, Jim Trestle and Thad Mata were like winning the Big Ten every year and then killing it in, in the, like the postseason. So no. Like what could Chris Holtman and Ryan day be that? No. Cause you just had it. And by the way, Ohio state and basketball went to the national championship for three straight years in 60, 61 and 62 with Fred yeah. Taylor while Woody was being Woody. Yeah. So no, this is <laughs> like, actually pretty, it's just actually a pretty normal thing at Ohio state to have 
a a like I said, a tier two basketball program and a tier one football. This is not a one off. This is how things go here. It's how well, it should be. I was going to bring that up. The only other comparable stretch might have been in 1960. Football team was a top 10 team. 61, they went 8-0-1 and, and were the nas- finished second in the poll. And in 62, they were ranked number one at one point, but finished 6-3. But that was like the only other – and that's a, that's a small stretch. We're not talking about a decade where both of those programs were right there on the tip of everyone's tongues as the best in the country. So the question well, isn't can they be better. It's just can they do it again, which but, they but, seem to be on the right track. Get back to me. Now, football has gone to a different level. But again, Jim Tressel was winning the Big Ten every year and won the national title on 02 and went to the national title game in six and seven. So, like, we can't pretend, yes, they had a little stretch there where they lost some bowl games. But, like, we can't pretend they weren't a national power while also dominating the Big Ten. And while Izzo was still at his peak, Thad Mata was winning championships. Thad Mata was beating peak Tom Izzo for Big Ten titles. Whatever the number of, th- of titles, I think Thad has four or five Big Ten titles. Get back to me when Chris Holtman has four or five Big Ten titles. So, like, I, I, and this is, I get accused of this sometimes. Like, please do not underestimate the Thad Mata basketball era. And please do, like, I, I don't think anybody's doing it. But do you know how far Chris Holtman has to go to replicate what Thad Mata did? Do you have any idea? They made like the Sweet 16 like five straight years. So here it is. Here's his actual rundown from from the from how from uh, Nathan's run. And I actually st- out from that from that like timeline. Lost in the second round. Lost in the national championship. Didn't make the tournament. Lost in the first round. Regional semis. Regional semis. National semifinal. Regional final. Second round. Third round. That's his. That's that run. And the year they didn't make the the tournament, they won the NIT. But yeah. they had that two-year blip after where they didn't make the tournament and they lost to Siena in the first round. Yeah. But then they were back, like, competing. Yep. And, and, and how many times did they win the Big Ten? Had, like, five times, I think, in that stretch? Yeah. So again, they were the best pro- – Michigan State and Ohio State were the two best programs in the Big Ten in that decade. There was no doubt about it. And that's peak Izzo. Now, Izzo, they, Michigan State had more Final Fours. But, like, during the course of the season, that, that's who it was. And again, I, all the credit in the world to Chris Holtman. Get back to me when he has five regular season Big Ten titles. So I think actually I was wrong, right? It was four Elite Eights, three Final Fours, and the one national championship appearance, right, in basketball yeah. in that stretch. Yeah. So I was one off on the Elite Eights and the Final Fours. And so, Stephen, like, do you feel like – so as you look at it, like, is the foundation being laid for – that kind of he's got one Big Ten championship. He could win another Big Ten championship this year, so that'd be like two in four years. That's a pretty good start. But as Doug says, um, doing it once or even doing it twice in a short span is very different than like sustaining it in a just a year after year after year thing where you don't really have big dips. Yes, with the asterisk right now, just because they, I mean, they have seen some significant exits every single year I've been covering this team, but I think the, uh, the recruiting it's, it, it maybe caters more to the guys won't leave because they're Midwest Ohio guys. So they have more reasons to stick around. Um, but I think this season uh, back to the word need, it might be the right word. It might not be the right word, but it, it gives you a little bit of optimism that yes, it is possible for Ohio state's tandem of football and basketball to get back to a place where the football team is a national power. Who's one of the, three best programs, four best programs in the country, while the basketball team, the expectation is they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten and maybe even win the Big Ten a lot of the times, but and they make big 
deep NCAA tournament runs. I think that this season has given you optimism that they're on the right path to that happening. And the other thing is, and it is the case now, but it always has been the case. The Big Ten is deeper in basketball than it is in football. So it yeah. does make it more difficult, which only goes to show that Thad Mata win, winning five Big Ten titles in his first eight years is like a huge accomplishment. Because he 50. Go ahead. I mean, but I mean, because he's beaten Izzo, he's beaten Bo Ryan, he's beaten Matt Painter, he's beaten Tom Crean. Like, they're a good, it's not like. I mean, Jim Trestle was beaten up on a down football conference in the Big Ten. And again, all credit to Jim Trestle. I mean, the Big Ten was good at basketball then, and Ohio State was still doing that. So, like, the Big Ten is awesome at basketball right now, but we're used to that. This is what Big Ten basketball is. Stephen, before we go, anything that's coming up in our coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU that people should be looking out for? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to write the, the the idea that this is this is your consolation prize for it sucks you lost to Ohio State Michigan football game, but this is the best possible consolation prize that you could have in this situation. A, a one game against Michigan that means this much. It's at least give you some at least fifty to sixty percent of what it, of what that game would give you in the fall. So I, I'm going to write that's going to be coming out literally the morning after the Penn State game because we're going to treat that like we would a Big Ten championship game in football, where everything that just happened in that game no longer matters as soon as we get to the next day because well this playoff announcement is coming out, so that's our focus. Well, a Michigan game is coming up, so that's going to be our focus. And also, I've been talking to some people around EJ Liddell. I genuinely think I think he's. Like I said, he's their NBA player on this team. I think he has a chance to be the favorite to win the Big Ten Player of the Year award next season. And I've been talking to some guys around him and get some interesting stuff. So, like, look for that as well. Thursday night, Ohio State at Penn State. That's 8 o'clock on Big Ten Network. Sunday, Michigan at Ohio State, 1 p.m. on CBS. Should be, uh, especially that second game, should be a fun weekend of basketball. We will be back with the recruiting pod on Friday. So, everybody come back for that. Wait a second. It's not the recruiting pod. It's Buckeye Football Futures. It's BFFs. Yeah. I forgot BFFs, we had a brand. You got to brand that. You got to brand the merch. Brand the merch. Um, yeah, because I'm not your BFF. I mean, like you didn't. No, I'm not, you didn't you're not in that. We I'm didn't want to like out. come right out and say that. Yeah. We're going to let people infer that. Everybody knows the deal. Also, I want to apologize. Uh, we do have the texter survey out about who drafted the best football team on the Wednesday pod and the early results, I think the poll there's something wrong with it. And I'm really bad at polls, obviously. So I have to go back and try to fix it because at the moment I'm third. And so I don't uh, know right, clearly. Yeah. Um, sounds right. I don't know what the glitch is. I'll talk to our it people, but I'll work on that so we can get the actual final results. To everybody. Who is in for no, how I don't want to know who's in first. Don't say Let who's them, in first. Yeah. Just say, is the gap wide? I'm so far in third. I'm not sure there's more than like five people who have voted me not third. I'm so in third. And it makes me now, if it's not a glitch, it makes me want to have a Braxton Miller podcast. And my, my good friend, Bo Bishop, who's on the radio in both Columbus and Cleveland is a multimedia superstar. He and I have had a lot of Braxton conversations over the years. I'm tempted if this Braxton Miller disrespect continues, I think I need to bring a Braxton truther on this podcast to talk about this, to make people understand. And I'll ask Bo about me picking Braxton where I did and what he could be. And so I think if you aren't voting, if you're voting my team third as religiously as people appear to be voting me third, 
I think it is based on that. And if I had taken Troy instead of Braxton at that spot, would how much differently would you view my team? And, and if you want to say, oh, Doug, you should have taken the Heisman Trophy winner. I get it. But I also think you are underestimating what Braxton Miller was as an Ohio State quarterback. So I just I may have to bring in reinforcements on that topic. I don't know who's in first, but I wonder if I mean, to the point of your quarterback is why you're in third. I wonder if that's how this ends up going is, I mean, Justin Fields is the best quarterback on this list. And since he was the first pick, that's what everybody's going to cling to, especially now, given what Dwayne Haskins has done in the years since he was Ohio State starting quarterback. Um, I don't know how much people are taking that into account. I think perhaps a lot. So I think think that will be a factor. I think that's the best way for us to do podcasts from now on is on every Wednesday, we'll do a giant two hour draft of something. Yeah. And then like the following Tuesday, we'll come back and complain about the results. If you don't, if you (laughs) don't win, you come up with a reason that's like, it gives the winner an asterisk and why they didn't really win. I will say though, looking through some of the text or comments, I think people like the the draft. I think it's a good podcast format. I think we get into some good arguments, and you get to like take the guy that somebody wants. And I think we should do some more of those. And I have some ideas on on some ideas, some some things that we could do along those lines that I think would be really fun. But those will be for future pods. This was today's pod. Buckeye football futures on Friday. Not sure what we're doing yet on Saturday, but I'm sure it'll be great. So come back and check it out. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.